Peter was writing <clears throat> to the first century church in 1 Peter 1.12, and he wrote, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. I am hoping to stir you up this morning by way of reminder. I'm going to remind you of a story I talked about many years ago, and many of you know, but a story in our Old Testaments that we often forget. And yet within this story, there is a truth, a principle, if you will, by which you and I truly experience, go back to the Advent wreath, we truly experience faith, hope, love, joy, Christ, as we understand this truth. And the problem is we forget it. We, 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 we know it, but we forget it. And when we forget it, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we, we dismiss, we, we uh, diminish, can I say that? And even in, at the worst case, we destroy, in a sense, hope, love, faith, and peace. And the experience of Christ, not just at Christmas, because at Christmas we kind of go to those things and remind ourselves. <clears throat> but those things are meant to be experienced day in and day out, y'all, every day of the year. And so I love that we can pause and think about this right on the beginning of 2017. Okay. Back in 2007, I was in the throes of a depression, and I was coming to grips with my, my <clears throat> codependency significantly. And in my recovery and um, counseling and, and help and work I did in those days, I began doing something um, suggested to me, and I still do it to this day. I began reading certain affirmations to myself, certain truths. And when I say that, I know some of you are old enough in here to go to Saturday Night Live and some of that silliness, you know, where they look in the mirror, I'm good enough, I'm strong. All kidding aside, it's actually what I do. And uh, why do I do that? Because I forget what's true. And uh, in my own growth spiritually, I just, you know, I need to remind myself of what's true about me, about God, about life. And so, so I keep this on the front of my Bible. I've got 15 of these, and this is, this is uh, revised April 14th, 2014. I'll revise it every couple of years, stick it back in the front of my Bible, and I read these things to myself. And well, what do you read to yourself? Well, I, read, I, I literally read this. Today, I will feel and accept my emotions. Let the wave hit and then dissipate. My mistakes are opportunities for growth. I accept responsibility for my life and relationship decisions. I will not give my power away as a victim. They're just statements like that that I remind myself of. Now, I, I revised it on December 30th. And I revised it because I thought, you know, I want to put this truth that we're going to talk about. I want to put it in my daily affirmations, those things that are true. And so I've got written down here on the bottom of my <coughs> affirmations, my problem is way worse than I think. His grace is way more than I imagine. My problem is way worse than I think. His grace is way more than I imagined. Not original with me. My problem is way worse than I think. His grace is way more 
than I imagined. Now, I've said it three times. I'm going to ask you to say it with me if you can. Stick with me on this. Let's say it together. My problem is way worse than I think. His grace is way more than I imagine. One more time. My problem is way worse than I think. His grace is way more than I imagine. Now, Lloyd, what does that mean? Un- unpack that for me some. Well, listen, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to unpack it. We're actually going to go to an Old Testament story that unpacks it for us. And in this story, we'll let it lay out before us, and we will come to understand how bad our problem is, and indeed how great his grace is. Now, I've got to do a little spade work, so let me do a very quick, uh, you know, dummies version. That's not a good way to say it. Let me do just the short version of uh, something we talk about in biblical interpretation. It's called typology. How many of you are familiar with typology? Raise your hand, seriously. If, it's okay, if you're not, it's okay. See, most of us aren't familiar with typology. That's okay. That's well, I'm, well, I'm here. Let's talk about typology. Typology is a recognition when we interpret our Bibles that there are <clears throat> people, places, events, and things in the Old Testament that are types uh, and foreshadow something that's coming in the New Testament that's fuller and greater and far superior. I'm just going to call it like this. There are previews in the Old Testament that preview what's coming in the New Testament, and that's the fuller thing. There's, this is called the type and this is, over here is called the antitype, okay? Now, type comes from the Greek word tupos, and it's used in the New Testament, and it means, uh, the, it, it, it means the, the imprint left when something strikes something. Um, when you strike something and it leaves an imprint, that's the tupos, okay? So I've got some um, clay up here, and, you know, I'm not going to throw this. I'm not going to do something crazy like I might normally do with you guys and shock you and... I'm just going to show you what a, a tupas is. I've got my, my ring, my James Avery ring on my right hand. It's got a cross in it. And, and if I take my right fist and I strike the clay, okay, and I remove my hand, there is left in this clay an imprint. And you can't see it, you know, all the way in the back, but if you look real close, my ring is actually in there, the little imprint from my ring. Everybody with that? See, that's my... That is called a tupas. That's, that's a type. Here's the type. Got it? It's real. I mean, it's happened. I did this. But it's pointing toward the greater reality that's coming, which would be the real thing, my hand, that comes in the New Testament. Everybody with me on this? Type and antitype. Now, um, think with me about the Old Testament. And, and I know you know this, but we, don't, we forget it. There are things that happen in the Old Testament, and we read our Old Testament, and you go, oh my gosh, that looks like Jesus, but he hadn't come yet. But what he's doing makes me think of Jesus. Everybody experienced that? You you did that in the Old Testament, because you're seeing a type, possibly. And and, uh, what's one that's like, just jumps out at us? At least to me, I'd go, Abraham sacrifices his only son, Isaac. What does that make you think of? God sending his son, sacrifice his son. You see, it's a type, and anti-type. Well, the most familiar type in the Old Testament of Christ himself in a person, won't surprise you, is King David. King David. Now, we're going to read a story about King David that explains to us how it is that our problem's way worse than we thought, and his grace is far more, way more 
than we can imagine. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel 9. I did this probably, it's seven years ago I did it. I've just adapted that and we're going to look at it afresh and you because I'm reminding you, even though you may know. David is now king, 2 Samuel. King Saul is dead. The guy's been chasing him for 25 years. Jonathan, Saul's son, is dead. David has ascended the throne. He's at the beginning of a 40-year reign. Pick up the story in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Follow along in your Bibles. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness, the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. The king then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here's your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me, dead, I mean, that you should regard someone so low and debase as me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat regularly, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so, his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate at the king's table regularly. Now, he was lame in both feet. What a story. Let's unpack it. First thing to keep in mind. David is the new king. In the Old Testament and in, in ancient East, when the new king ascended to the throne, guess what one of the first things the new king would do to all the old king's sons? What do you think he would do? He would kill them. This is life then because the old king's sons could be a threat to him to come to the king. It happens all the time in the Old Testament when you see it. But how does this story begin? David's ascended to the throne. 25 years he's waited. Now he's at the throne. The first thing he does, he turns and he doesn't say, where are Saul's sons so I can kill them? What does he say? Are there any of Saul's sons out there that I may show them what? What's the word he used? Kindness. He used that four, three times. Kindness, kindness, kindness. And this is the thing that holds this story together. It, 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 David's showing kindness 
to his, quote, enemy. Don't lose that thought, even as you think about the whole story. And it gives us the kind of the foundation for the first principle I'm going to give you. There's three things, three observations I'm going to make about this that help us understand how it is our problem's way worse than we think. His grace is way more than we can imagine. Here's the first thing. I'll say it a couple times. David initiates the search to show kindness to Mephibosheth. David, you see, initiates the search to show kindness to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth shows up in 2 Samuel 2, 4, 4, 4, and what had happened is his father Jonathan's killed. His grandfather Saul is killed. The nurse of this five-year-old boy, he's five at the time, realizes he's going to be killed by the new king. She scoops him up and she runs to save him. And she drops him. And both his feet are crushed, it says. This boy at five will never walk again. Now we pick it up, he's a, a, a young man at least, and he's living in Lodabar. Lodabar. Uh, what does that mean? Lodabar means no pasture. No pasture. So, so here's, the, here's, here's the king's, previous king's son, living in Lodabar. There's no pasture. What do you think about? If there's no pasture, there's no provision. And you go, wait a minute, this is a, this is a prince. This is the son of a king, and he's living somewhere where there's no provision. Why is he living here? Because he's running from the only one who could provide for him. You see that picture? He's running from the only king that could could, could give provision to him, hiding out in Lodabar. Don't miss this. David's the one who starts the search. David's the one who comes after, initiates the search for Mephibosheth. Second, David's kindness to Mephibosheth is based on David's faithfulness to keep a promise. David's kindness that he's going to show to Mephibosheth, it's based not on Mephibosheth. It's based on David's integrity and faithfulness to keep a promise. In 1 Samuel uh, uh, 25, David and Jonathan, best of friends, Jonathan knows, this is Saul's son, Jonathan knows that David is going to be king one day. And he says, will you make a promise to me to take care of my family forever? What does David do? Absolutely. We could say this, he made a covenant. He made a promise to Jonathan, your family's secure and safe, provided for forever. When he made that promise to Jonathan, where was Mephibosheth? Where was he at that time? He didn't exist. He, wasn't, <laughs> he didn't exist. He wasn't there when he made that promise. And so now we find Mephibosheth, and we know he's in Lodabar, <clears throat> and y'all, there's nothing he can do to earn David's kindness. David's kindness is rooted in David, not in Mephibosheth. Now hold on to that thought as we keep going. David initiates. David's kindness is rooted in his faithfulness. And the third thing is this. David's kindness brings Mephibosheth relational intimacy and a new identity with the king. David's kindness brings Mephibosheth Relational intimacy and a new identity with the king. Y'all, four times it says, eat at my table. Did you, did you see that? Four times. Eat at my table, eat at my table, eat at my table. Y'all, this phrase for, for an Eastern mind, and we've talked about this a lot, it is friendship. It is, 
It is community. It is intimacy. Can I say that? To eat at a table, you see, with someone. And that's why it's repeated over and over. This is close communion that he's talking about. He says you're going to do it regularly, three times. Regularly, regularly. Try and say that regularly. Try and say that three times. I didn't even get through it. Um, and it means in perpetuity. It, it's, you're not going to eat here. Okay, you got a 30-day ticket. When all of them's punched, you go eat on your own. You're going to eat with me forever. It's one thing to eat with the king. Big deal. I know some of y'all have been on cruises, and, and I've never been on one, but you, you, know, you might say you, know, you got to eat with the captain. I don't know if you get, you know, it's a big deal, you get to eat with the captain. How about eating with the king? Wow. But it's a whole other thing altogether to eat with the king, not as a guest, but as a, what does it say? You're going to eat at my table, verse 11, as a, say it, as a son. You, you see that? This is not, you're my dinner guest, you're my son, you see as you eat with me. Y'all, the name Mephibosheth means shame. Yuck, what a name. What's your name? Shame. Hello. I want you to think about shame for a moment because it's toxic. Uh, always differentiate between guilt and shame. Always try and remind us of that. Guilt is I've done something wrong. I feel guilty. I need to correct it, repent. Etc. It's, it's a gift. Gifts, guilt is a gift. You've done something wrong. Shame, on the other hand, is not I've done something wrong. It is I am wrong. Guilt says I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? Guilt. Shame says I am a mistake. I'm not worthy. His name is shame. David's kindness figuratively, changed his name. He went from shame to son. Now, you can believe what the world says about you. You can believe what you say about yourself. I tend to, I, I tend to believe more what the world says and what, more what I say about myself than what God says to me, quite frankly. I think many of us struggle with this, which is even why I read those truths to myself on a regular basis. But you know what? When you go to the world or you go to yourself, this is where I tend to go, and some may as well. You, the words that you hear in your head, quite frankly, can be things like this. Failure, loser, insufficient, unworthy, poser, deficient, defective, incapable. That, that's where we can go. Now, the truest thing about us is not even what we say about ourselves. It's, it, it's what God the King says. What does the King say by his actions here? Just, just drawing out, what is the King saying about, the King says you're a son, you're a daughter, you are desired, dignified, welcome, significant, you're valuable, you're treasured, I want to be with you, you're mine. That's what the King says about us. David initiates. Uh, David's kindness is rooted in the fact that he keeps his promise and David's kindness brings intimacy and a new identity to Mephibosheth. Just taking the story at face value, and this is not a trick question, can we agree that Mephibosheth got more than he could imagine? 
truly, I'm not, this is not trick. I th- we do, we look at it and we go, that guy didn't deserve all that. He couldn't earn all that. He got more than he could ever imagine when he was in Lodabar with no provision. I've used the word kindness because the text uses it. Kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. It's such an amazing word, you know, and it's hard to define because it means so much. It's defined as love, loyalty, favor, mercy, grace, steadfast love. It, it, it's, it's covenant faithfulness. This is what hesed is all through our Old Testament. Now, the thing about hesed you got to keep in mind is hesed doesn't exist if it's not in action. Lloyd, what do you mean? Well, I mean this. Hesed is not an emotional term. It's not a sentimental term per se. So, so you can't say, I hesed you if it's just words. Hesed has to be demonstrated in, in the actual acting out of love, faithfulness, steadfast covenant love, you see. So, so hesed is the active, unstoppable, faithful activity of God keeping his promises of favor, kindness, love, mercy, and grace to his children. Here we go. David's hesed. Here's the type, Old Testament. So David's hesed, everybody with me, Old Testament, is foreshadowing the fullness of whose hesed in the New Testament? Christ Jesus, God the Father. You know, it's God's hesed. Everybody with me on that? It's amazing that he's foreshadowing the fullness that's gonna come in God's faithful to, faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus. Here we go. If David's a type, then Mephibosheth is a type. So Mephibosheth is pointing us toward a future fullness and reality, so to speak, of all that he is in his condition. If David's pointing us to Christ, type, antitype, then Mephibosheth is a picture of who? Who? Oh my gosh, no, no, no. I don't want to be crippled. I don't want to be in low to bar. No, 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 no. If we're reading the text correctly and we're interpreting typology correctly, then I'm Mephibosheth. Listen, it is bad news, but there's no good news if there's no bad news. And it's worse than we thought. What do you mean it's worse than we thought? You do understand, if I'm Mephibosheth, then that means... I'm in low debar with no provision and two feet that don't work. And I'm running from the only one who will ever give me what I need. And there is no power on the planet that will ever turn me to go look for him. I am fallen, the Bible says. My only hope over here in low debar is that there's a king out there somewhere who loves me and who chooses to initiate to come find me. 
and then opens my eyes to his bounty and then picks me up and carries me all the way to the table. That's a picture of salvation. You say, well, Lloyd, wait a minute. I chose Christ. And, and yes, it does. We do choose. We must choose. We must individually trust him. But you know, and this is where I came to faith for many years in my thinking. It's almost like, you know, many people think it's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to give God a chance. God, would you send me your resume? That's amazing. You're pretty amazing. And you did all that for me? Wow. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll give you. See, that, that's, not the, that's not a picture of the gospel, you guys. The picture of the gospel is we're born in Lodabar, our feet don't work, and we'll never go to the table. We will never go to the table unless God comes and gets us and picks us up and brings us to the table. See, see our problem's way worse than we think. His grace is way more than we can imagine. His faithfulness to his promise gets us to his table. David's kindness to Mephibosheth picked up a lame fugitive enemy, brought him to his table, and gave him all the resources of the kingdom. Substitute your name for Mephibosheth if you've trusted Christ. For in Christ Jesus, we are picked up by God. We are carried to his table, y'all. And we are made sons and daughters and given all the resources of the heavenly kingdom. This is the good news of the gospel. If you think you walk to the table yourself, if you think you strap it on and get yourself there, then I'll only say this. You have cheapened grace. Grace is all God. Does your choice matter? Yes. But we wouldn't even choose had God not awakened faith in us. Paul says we're dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead people don't respond. John would say it this way. We love God. Okay, when you come to Christ, you go, I do love you, God, now. But what does John say? We love God because God, what's the word? God first loved us. God takes the initiative. God's faithful to his promise. And God gives us way more than we could ever imagine. Relational intimacy and a new identity in Christ. I hope you all, we are standing on the verge of 2017. This is the first day, it's not even over yet. I hope a day doesn't go by for me, for you, that I don't remind myself my problem's way worse than I thought. His grace is way more than I imagined. I'm going to ask the band to come back out because we will put some feet on this as we conclude. We're going to be going to the Lord's table. If you can't imagine, you know, Mephibosheth at, at the table, then how about imagining this? Can you believe this? That the Lord Jesus Christ actually said, I've got a table for you. And he puts a table before us and he says, come to it regularly. And he says, when you come to the table, you're gonna take bread and a cup and it's gonna remind you of my body broken for you and my blood shed. Do you think 
that it's an, it's, a, it's an accident, it's just happenstance that Mephibosheth went to the king's table and you and I get to come to the, the king's table. Y'all, this is all one story of our redemption. And so we're gonna come to the table. It's gonna take us a little time to do this. I'm gonna direct you in how we're gonna do it. And those of you with kids in the room, you know, you can bring your kids and you'll actually get to reinforce a lesson, I think, in your own physical body. And that is when you get up in a moment and circle these tables, yes, you know, you know don't go too far with me here, but yes, you get up and you walk to it, you know, table. But you do understand spiritually that you could no more walk to that table than fly to the moon on your own. You do understand that God himself is carrying you to this table. He carried you here in salvation the moment you trusted Christ. He carries you every day, every moment. See, when we get this truth, it changes everything because then we begin to realize, you know what? As Brendan Manning says, all is grace. You wake up in the morning, you go, I'm alive, grace. I'm breathing, grace, every breath, grace. Now, how about this? Every challenge, every hurt, every hardship, all the good, all the bad, all the joy, all the peace, grace. Because if this is true, and it is, then God is at work keeping his promise to you and to me. And he and only he in his wisdom and kindness and mercy and power can take all of the good, bad, and the ugly and use it for our good, which he says he does. Let's, uh, well, actually, I'm gonna have you seated because I'm gonna, I'm gonna have us come in different sections. When you come to the table, if you've trusted Christ, you're welcome at this table. If you've not, that's okay. You know, you can remain seated. People, there'll be some people remain seated, that's fine. But I'm gonna invite you in a moment to come to the table. And when you do, keep in mind you're carried. And this is what I'd say to those of you with kids, if you wanna bring them. Carry your kid to that table and remind yourself, this is God carrying me every day of my life and certainly to this table. We'll gather around the tables. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like everyone in this section to go up on the stage. There's five tables up here. Just circle around it. Would you, would you guys do that right here? This, everybody in this section, just if you want to take the Lord's table, go up to this table, these tables and circle them. And everybody in this section right here, go up on the stage as well. I think there's enough tables that, that these two groups can get around. You might have to get one or two deep, but everybody in this section, would you do that? And stand there for a moment. Brett and the team are going to sing over us. I just want you to pause there for a moment. Then I'm going to get the rest of us um, around tables, okay? And if we could do this, there are two tables right here. So why don't, you know, everybody in that back corner section right there, would you go ahead and get up and come and circle around these two tables? And if there's not enough room, then, then you know, you can, you can go back to your seat or just, let's just see if we can get around these two. Double up, get around these two tables. And the same as that back, that back section. I don't know that we can take everybody, but the whole front, you guys come on up and get around these tables. And then I'll guide you to take the cup and the bread. I know we should be able to, we should be able to get most of you. Yeah, some of you in the back maybe can, can, can remain seated on these because I know there's more than planned. But double up, stand behind your spouse or child, get around the table. There you go. Circle up there. You guys circle up here. And if you can't, you can stay seated. We got enough up here. Look, some of y'all can go up on that stage. 
If some of y'all want to wander up here, up to the stage, there's this table here that's got plenty of room. Thank you. Yeah, just go on up there. You guys on the wall, just come on around and hop up on the stage. I actually like doing it like this. Reminds us we're not alone. We're not trying to do something perfect here. You guys can, uh, we'll get another, I'm gonna do another group here in a moment. So if it's too full, you can be seated. Standing around those tables and even in your seat, would you just pause a moment and reflect on the goodness of God to bring us to these tables. And if you're around the table, I'm just gonna ask somebody to pick up the bread and pass it around, get everybody to get the bread. And then if everyone would kind of sneak your arm in there and grab the cup. So those of you around the table, go ahead and take the bread and take the cup and hold it, please. Take the bread and take the cup and hold it if you're around these tables. Yeah, there's room at these tables. And just stand there, we'll take it together. If you don't have the bread and the cup, would you get that now, please? Someone pass you the bread, pass you a cup. Lord, at this table, we are reminded our problem is way worse than we thought. Your grace is way more than we imagined. For your body broken on our, for us on our behalf, for your blood that was shed, Lord Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sin, we are grateful. And we stand not here on our own, but only because you initiated to find us. Your kindness is rooted in you keeping your promise. And you restore a relational intimacy with the Father and make us sons and daughters. Thank you. Eat the bread and drink the cup now, please.
if you would make your way back to your seats. Go ahead and make your way back to your seats from those tables. Now, those of you in this whole middle section here, in this whole middle section here, if you would, you can go to the stage or you can go to these tables here. There's plenty of room for you all. I might have bit off more than I needed to in the first group there. Sorry. So you guys stand up, please, and make your way to the table. Surround that table, and then I'll, I'll instruct us. Go ahead and pass out the cup or pass out the bread, and, and everybody get a cup, and just remain there and reflect for a moment. Go to any of these tables. sure that you have a, the bread and the cup if you would. Oh Lord, we stand around these tables and it looks like a limited supply and yet we know that this table is endless. Your blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins has no end. Your obedience to the Father, the brokenness of your body, and that obedience is perfect and eternal. So not only do we recognize we've been carried to this table, but we recognize that we're given more, 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 always more than we imagined because of your kindness. And for this, we give thanks. Eat the bread and drink the cup.
Those of you who are seated, would you stand? Those of you around the tables, remain there. May I offer this benediction over us? Our problem is way worse than we think, Lord. Your grace is way more than we imagine. When the world leaves us lame, our choices bury us in shame. May your grace lift us to our place at your table. As certain as your steadfast love, secured by your faithfulness for your glory alone. Amen. God bless and Happy New Year.